What's going on, everybody? This is Troy Pryor, founder of Creative Cypher and host of the Cypher Live podcast, where we interview thought leaders and creative entrepreneurs. And today we have a legend of legends, an OG in the game and in life. Brother, George Daniels is in the building with us. Thanks so much for taking uh, time to rock with us today. Well, I, I appreciate the invitation. Man, Thanks. this is such a blessing to have you on the show. Um, you know, thank you so much for joining us. And then just, you're going to jump right into it. You know, you hear the term legend, you're a legend. <laughs> what does it feel like to be called a legend? Did you always know that you would become a legend? No, not at all. I, don't, I, I still don't consider myself one, but I guess I've accomplished enough things where people recognize that, you know, as a kid growing up watching TV, you know, you're the legend of Davy Crockett and all that shit. <laughs> and so, of course, to be much older, but uh, I can appreciate it, the journey that I've gone through and uh, the many lives that I've touched in a positive way. It's been pretty cool. That's amazing. And I'm glad that you use that term journey. Oh, yeah. We have a lot of rising creators, entrepreneurs that sometimes can get uh, discouraged on in their journey or their process of either becoming an artist or just an entrepreneur uh, in general. But there are individuals such as yourself that can open up doors or become way makers. And you have opened up the doors for so many, specifically Chicago artists. Uh, what are some of the, the experiences that possibly stand out for the artists that, that you've created platforms and opened the doors for in Chicago? Well, there were so many. Uh, it really boils down to me positioning myself as a a black store owner in Chicago, a retailer. Uh, that I had no idea I would wind up in the position that I had. But before I started George's Music Room, I was selling music out the trunk of my car wholesale, mm -hmm. working for a black man here in Chicago. Before then. Uh, you know, when Beyonce did Cadillac Records, mm -hmm. that was about chess records here in Chicago. And she portrayed Etta James. And I was Etta James' driver here locally when I was 18 here in Chicago. So my relationship, my relationships were built upon my history in the music business and to wind up being in retail. And, you know, most folks, you know, everybody had, you know, Johnny's record shop, Bill's record shop, so-and-so's record. And so when I got into it, I I used the term George's Music Room. Because when I started, I was selling eight tracks and albums. Then cassettes came. Then the CD came. But it's all music. So I said all that to say this is what separated me from the other people that did sell music. And so uh, I put more of a show business side to the retail end of the business because that's where having a community, a neighborhood record store, that's the closest thing anybody in the neighborhood got to entertainment. On Fridays and Saturdays, we used to be so busy and not just my store, but in every black community in America because that's your entertainment hub. After you got paid, this is when it was like full employment. And you got paid in one of the first places you go. You get home off work Friday, you go to the cleaners, 
you go to the liquor store and you come to the record shop. <laughs> That's how you spent your money. And see, back then you didn't need no parking lot or nothing like that because your 99% of your customers lived in the neighborhood. Uh-huh. And that's how we we thrived, and I was able to build a business, a well-respected business, right in the community, and it became uh, one of the foremost independent black stores in the country. And that's because you know we created, we gave the store personality. And you know what, I really appreciate out of the, the multiple things in that, but you know, a lot of our conversation we talk about in creative side for black ownership and media, black ownership and business, and knowing how to connect with community, your ability and your success, a lot of it stems from your ability to connect with the community. And a lot of times we see institutions or organizations trying to achieve certain goals, but they, they lose that ability to connect. So is, is it safe to say that you have a, somewhat an unparalleled capacity to connect with the people? <laughs> well, see, they don't lose the ability to, to connect. They never had it. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, facts, facts. And see, that's where the major disconnect that's come from with our businesses today, especially the corporate side, and then when smaller entrepreneurs, young black men, women, or whatever nationality start a business, you know, it's always about the money. It's not about character. It's not about integrity. You know, it's, you know, for me, I was so proud, you know, I have my ups and downs now, but the journey is like my father said, you're going to get knocked down, but don't get knocked the F out. (laughs) (laughs) You got to keep getting up. And so, um, I went bankrupt once. I got evicted from two locations in the same block. And, you know, and I started my business like in 1969, 1970. And see, so we really didn't get on the map until the early 90s, 1990s. But, you know, it was still a process of learning how to be a merchant. And I've always had the work ethic. My mother worked until the last half an hour before I was born in my parents' first restaurant in the Bronx. By the time I was three or four, they had restaurants in Harlem and the Bronx. My father's best friend was Sugar Ray Robinson. Hmm. And so, you know, I was taking the Evans Field to see Jackie Robinson. Wow. So I said all of this to, to say that the things that I was exposed to gave me, you know, it was automatic. You, you got to do something mm-hmm. with your life. Uh, you know, I was shipped off to live with my grandmother starting seventh grade in Houston, Texas. And she owned Mama Alice's Cafe. <laughs> I had to get up in the morning, open a cafe before I went to school across the street at E.O. Smith and Fifth Ward. So I'm saying these things to say because it's my foundation. It's, you know, people will assume that they can do what I do. Well, yeah, if I give you the blueprint, but you haven't gone through the experiences that I've gone through. And so that's what gives whatever you do its own identity, which is your identity. And that's huge for a lot of creators that feel as though they have to follow a trend or uh, they need to jeopardize the integrity of who they are to just to get on. But what you just said was so powerful because you 
can only be you. Like no one else can be you. Someone told me man, a long time ago when I first started in the entertainment industry, I remember I was at an audition and brother was giving me some advice and I came from a sports background. So it was always competition. And I'm like, all right, man, this cat's giving me all this advice. But he was like, you know what, man? What's for me is for me and what's for you is for you. And I, I kept that in my head. So this idea of being true to self, it, it gives you that authenticity that oftentimes will make you or help you to stand out in a world where everybody's trying to, you know, look the same all the time. Well, that's what's happening today versus, you know, the era I grew up in as a youngster and the, you know, the images that I saw, you know, uh, I remember when I got my first pair of long pants, man, the rite of passage, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Everybody, you know, you didn't call it dress up. That's the clothes you wore. You know, you had your, your, your go to school clothes. And when you came home, you took them off, you had your play clothes. When you went downtown, you put on a suit, shirt, and tie. <laughs> uh -huh. You know, you were casual to some degree in the neighborhood, but you always left out the house appropriately dressed. Uh -huh. That was that was black values. Mm. Okay. And so when you grow up with those values, it's, you know, I can skip all the way forward to, you know, when I got to the peak of the store. And at one point I had close to 15 full-time employees at George's, right? And they all walk to work. <laughs> That's where young people, you get your first job. That's what I did as a kid. From the merchants that were in the neighborhood, of course, we don't have them anymore. Uh -huh. You know, it was, it was the shopping plazas that started first. Then the shopping malls that literally drained our communities of our customers. Uh -huh. And that's why when you ride through our neighborhood, see, there was Black Wall Street was everywhere in America. Yeah. It was just Tulsa, Oklahoma. Everything you wanted to buy, you had to buy from somebody black. If you go downtown, yeah, I mean, even here in Chicago, as close as back in the fifties and what have you, you can go downtown and you can pick your clothes out, you know, buy them, but you couldn't try them on. Yeah. Isn't that something? Yeah. Would you say that similar, similarly in the entertainment industry, that the idea of cultural appropriation uh, watered down that uh, those black enterprises, as well as some of the the media that has kind of changed the narrative, um, you know, since hip hop has become more commercialized? Yeah. Well, uh, the one thing about the fifty years of hip hop. The thing that, that I'm not saying they intentionally avoided, but these artists who are now in their 50s, some in their 60s, their memories are very short. And then many times their managers and it didn't make them aware of what was going on in the business. Because when rap started turning into hip hop, do you know the only place you could find it to buy it? That's, that was a question. <laughs> huh? no, you know, the no. only, place in, only places in America you could find it was, was in this? your neighborhood mom and pop stores. Mm -hmm. it, was, it was, you know, Bobby Robinson in Harlem in New York City and Birdies in Brooklyn, Stick Horse Records in Houston, Chantonique's Records in Detroit. You know what I'm saying? 
Yeah. Because, see, I, I know them names because in the 90s, I organized Black Swords. Mm. Because they attempted, because when, when hip-hop started taking over, they weren't giving it the publicity. Yeah, man, there's stories that I could tell. I, there were Black executives that said, George, don't worry about that rap shit. It ain't going to last. <laughs> wow. So there was, there was didn't even have a confidence in it. Well, of course not, because it was all independent. Right. Every single label. The majors got big in it because they started buying up the independents. Mm -hmm. The majors were never interested in the culture. They never understood the culture. So what would you say, especially to, a, uh, to a, a, an entrepreneur, whether they're in the creative space or in other ones, you have to have vision. You got to be able to see some things that others and sometimes the powers that be can't see. What would you say to inspire them if they've got a vision for something? Well, you got if you got the vision, then you have to work, you, you have to move on it. Mm -hmm. You know, if I can only see myself as others do, you know, it's difficult, but you can. You have to recognize who you are. You often hear people say, well, you know, people just don't understand. So-and-so don't understand. I tried. Look, your best friend, and it could be your worst enemy, is in the mirror. Hmm. That's your dog. All right? <laughs> if that dude lied to you, you got a problem. <laughs> Man, true words for sure. And, and, and that's it in a nutshell. You have to recognize, when you look at look at the world today, these wars going on, what have you, so and so, and then people talk about, well, we all, you know, everybody's human being, what have you, and then you got the Israel and the Palestine. You have every every single thing is manufactured, man. All this stuff is manufactured. It's big business. You know something? I mean, you know, you know ask AI about the the business of religion. <laughs> mm. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, all of it is big. War is big business. This shit that's going on is big business. A Donald Trump, that super shit is big. This is part of the history. You know, you live, you get old, you die, and another generation, you know, it continues. The madness. You know, that brings up another point. You, you brought up AI. And, um, you know, one of the things I want to talk about is how tech, you talked about the different mediums of which you sold music, what do you see tech doing it's, to it's your business? It. Now, tech has destroyed it. Because even the minds of young people, all they hear are beats. They don't hear music. <laughs> it's all goddamn beats. Algorithms. When you go to a club, it's the same fucking beat. Ain't no slow jams. Mm -hmm. Ain't no instrumentals. Ain't no jazz. We see a diversity of music in the clubs. You hear all oh, you're saying now, and you know, and you get in these expensive ass, cheaply built cars. Because mm. <laughs> I mean, you ride around in a coffin, and yet they promote speed. When I was coming up, what have you had caught? And these, the cars I had, you hit a tree, the tree went down. Real material. We, the commercials that we saw, okay? See the USA in your Chevrolet. America is waiting for you, you know, and that's how, and you're cruising. You understood the difference between cruising and Indianapolis 500. 
the cars were not marketed for speed. Mm-hmm. Look at these goddamn cars. Today. Every goddamn commercial, even with kids, the family in it. And it got the, the, the SUV flying. And so, ain't nothing. You know, people have never questioned, you know, but the crash is. You know, when people die in a crash, you know, how do you die from an automobile accident? You know, no one thinks about it. But you know what it is? It's the parts of the car that penetrate the body. The dashboard breaks in pieces and straight pieces and goes right through your chest. So if I hear you correctly, you're saying that a lot of things that started out either pure or were the where the time was taken to build properly, all of that's being broken down. Exactly. And you cared. I mean, it was about putting your stamp on it. Now it's mass merchandising, man. Look, so what look, look, look at when they privatize penitentiaries. Everybody's making money, man. There, there are people that, that are artists and what have you haven't made investments, don't realize some of the investments are part of the uh, penitentiary industrial complex. Uh, and you know what? They that, privatize penitentiaries, man. And that brings up a, a, a good point, too. Earlier, you mentioned how a lot of artists in possibly the earlier days or earlier days of their career were not as aware of all the business dealings that were going on behind behind the scenes and so now talking about some of their investments they're not aware of just was well, it, it was it was a different time mm-hmm. they weren't aware of look they knew how to sing and and the white man knew the business okay if we spend too much time talking about you know well that's what they took advantage of well it's done you dig how do you how do you fix it mm-hmm. how do you not let it happen today but then you turn around and you see you know black entrepreneurs that ripped off some of the black hip-hop artists mm-hmm. okay where did they learn that from see so the whole thing is when it's exposed it's exposed but don't spend a whole lot of goddamn time harping on certain things that even today this shit is even worse mm-hmm. i mean all this Nobody's questioning why these youngsters, these children are robbing, jacking cars, shooting people, you know, and it's based upon what they see and what they hear. You know, they don't hear no no artists like Smokey Robinson talking about how to how to treat a girl. Temptation sing, making a song called My Girl. Uh-huh. You know what I'm saying? There's none of that at all. See that look. I'm staying the way I am because I have the, the pleasure of all the music I not only grew up with, but been a businessman selling because I sold a physical product. I didn't have to manufacture it, but man, I have the soundtrack of my life from childhood to now. Mm-hmm. If I want to play some stuff, music from back in the fifties, man, I'll play some songs and then it'll make me remember when I lived in Parsons gardens in Queens, Nine, in the 50, you know, I was five, six, seven, eight, nine years old. And that music brings me back. Do you think that there's even the way things are going, that there's even the potential to have a classic anymore? Well, I'm sure it, it is, but it's not going to be mass merchandised. There's too much money being made out of this dumbed down music. And, mm-hmm. you know, you 
you know, you got grandparents dressed like their grandbabies. <laughs> this new, you know, man, I'm gonna tell you, boy, look, it's gonna be funny to see little Kim and all them up there when they in their 60s, 70s, the fuck. <laughs> oh, man. Diana Ross could still get out there and say, shit. <laughs> 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 Queen Latifah and MC Lightning was smart. Got there. They got into that acting and shit. Well, you know what? I, I, I really love I love that you brought that up because as an OG, as a veteran, you've seen the waves. You can get an eye or see what will uh, remain consistent. You brought up MC Light and Queen Latifah, um, their ability to evolve and uh, it allows them to stay not only relevant, but not necessarily, you know, fade away with the trends just how have you been able to continue to evolve and stay in the mix of things over the years? Well, at the age that I am now, it's because I'm staying healthy. Shit. <laughs> I can look. I may not be as wealthy as I could have been, but at my age now, I'm not that concerned about it. Mm -hmm. You know, my wealth is in being healthy. Because I know people who are economically in a lot greater shape than me. He's <laughs> sick of this shit. Stressed out. Whether they're stressed out or medical conditions, the whole thing is sorry they're in a condition, but you know, you, you start, you ignore your, your body mm -hmm. and then you pay the consequences. Like, you know, you sit around like, well, it'll go away, go rather than having it diagnosed. Mm -hmm. You know, and you check out and shit, fine, what's wrong? But then fine, when you go and check it out, it's because your ass is half crippled, something fucked up. <laughs> and then it's been there all this time when you could have had it checked out earlier. Man, so, you know. The greatest I, advice I can give any young people, man, because I'm going to tell you something. It, it is amazing for me to be my age and poor, and my mind is sharp, right? And that's, boy, I see ideas that are just fucking incredible. I can go into places, you know, where there's restaurants and an analyzer. And our black restaurants are pitiful, okay? And, and and But I can analyze this shit in five, ten minutes. Again, being brought up in the business, but my father was so meticulous. I mean, our waitresses had uniforms and shit back in the day on 47th Street. Because, you know, my family eventually wound up here from New York. Mm -hmm. And see, so uh, I ran my store with that type of style. I, you know, I taught the young people that worked for me you know, people in Chicago, for example, there's there's a uh, organization called the Firm. You know, they do a lot of special yeah. events and whatever. Mm -hmm. Have you ever heard of them? Uh, I'm not familiar with them. Okay, well, anyway, do events, but the guy that's head of it, his name is Dorian Minor. I gave Dorian his first job when he was 13, yeah. and he's getting ready not only that to retire from the, the uh, Chicago Water Department in two years. <laughs> yeah. But his first background and learn how to work was working at George's Music Room. So you've opened up the doors for folks, not only entertainers, but in other realms. Oh, and there's no, there's, look, put it like this. Everything you win, every place you go, what have you, it ain't no one, one main operation. Mm -hmm. It's a team. It's an organization. You know, you, you, you just open and put your name on something and, and that ain't your standard. You know what? This I'm, is what we're missing. And I'm glad that you brought that up, too, because earlier we talked about the importance of community and not only as 
an entrepreneur, but as a person that managed individuals, uh, talk to, you know, before we wrap, just talk to the creators that are either launching their careers, they're building, but they need that community. They built their team. Like, why is it so important to be a great talent scout and surround yourself with the right people? Because you got to have a sharp organization. Again, you know, once you become a star, it ain't you. It's the people that got to watch out for you. And those are the people you hire. Okay? It ain't got shit to do with luck. None of that. It's about understanding the business once you get to a point. But, you know, the way things happen so quick nowadays, you ain't got time to learn shit. Because it's all technology. It ain't no goddamn personality because you don't go around the stores and, and have people in line signing your autograph and shit no more like you do it at, at my store and thousands of other record shops mm-hmm. when you get a chance to meet your fans yeah you used to have lines around the store man the, I, the, I have two lines one line you want an autograph and the other line you buying the cd <laughs> and you know who got it first <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> where do you see it where do you see it going you know where, where do you what does the future look like for this? I, I see where it's gone it ain't going man it, oh. it's bullshit now mm-hmm. i mean it would you have these artists who have no fucking personality they think they're gods they walk around because they, they make themselves superstars on TikTok and shit mm-hmm. i mean you know these young ladies think you got to be fucking half naked to perform and I didn't, you know, we didn't, we look, we didn't go to see a Reza Franklin's body or uh, Gladys Knight in him, but man, we went out to him sing. And people were sharp and the whole darn thing, they looked good, you know? Now you, you're teaching generations of young people. You know, to be successful, you can sing, but you got to have a, you know, you got to be half naked. So that means you got to have this, this, that, and the other. And you're creating something which you have. And you see it every single day. Mm-hmm. You you see it every single day. And I'm just saying, is it necessary? Because all it's going to do is lead to more and more out of control. And they're going to have to create institutions. Mm-hmm. Because other than that, man, because this this is worse than the Wild Wild West. I mean, I this, is, this is like the old cowboys. We just watch on TV. Stagecoach holds up to shit. Armored cars stick up. Robin Banks. Sticking people up, jacking cars. Holy mm-hmm. shit, man. Yeah, think about all of that that's going on. Yeah. And, and you know, who's making songs about it? <laughs> mm-hmm. Who's talking about our social situation? These motherfuckers out here rapping about the jewelry and shit they got, the cars they got, the homes they got. I mean, is is there a path? Do you see a path? No, I don't look. I don't know where it is, because mm-hmm. you know anybody can make themselves a star, because it's in that it's in the palm of the hands now. Oh well, man, you know, with the OnlyFans and oh, they, they look. You you can have an oh, yeah. as well. You go to record label first thing now. Ask is you know how big is this social media? <laughs> oh, absolutely. I can even remember. <laughs> as a talent before i got into production and auditions for commercials you saw the shift when there were questions about your social media following versus your credentials yeah your but experience but now and then look back at the history of the term social media thing. See, so it wasn't that long ago exactly 
And so what has to happen is, is you know, you get adjusted to it, but then you can create a world of those types of business. It's just like restaurant groups today. You know, you go in an area and what have you, see six, seven, eight, nine, ten real popular restaurants and what have you, they're owned by the same company. Right. You, you see what I'm saying? But see, nobody's doing that in our communities. Mm-hmm. And this is what you've got to write out. You know, what can we buy? You know, what are we buying? What would we buy? So so if it was them, do you know how Sears and Roebuck got wealthy? They started start, start buying up? No, I'm talking years ago when it first got started. They got, you know, over on the west side of Chicago, mm-hmm. Home and Square. Yep. 25,000 people a day used to work over there. Mm. Yeah, that's the mail order house. That's where a lot of folks could buy stuff. They used to have a big, thick catalog. Oh, yeah, yeah. And that, that was Caesar Roebuck. That's how black folks was able to get furniture. Because the white stores in the small towns and so on and so forth, they didn't have nothing for, you know, they didn't want black customers. You know, you, it, well, it, but anyway, this is how black merchants became who they became. They became successful, the whole thing. How do you go from funeral homes, doctors, lawyers, all of that? Yeah, one of the things that we really talk about a lot specific to media is black ownership because without that in place, uh, you have folks that don't look like you making those decisions about the media you consume and it has an impact. They've always been making those decisions. The black the, the bottom line is, you know, you say black ownership, you know, you're growing up, you come you're going through a generation of of seeing nothing but big big guys, you know. Even the athletes back in the day, man, baseball basketball didn't make that kind of money. You know, when look. When I was in my 20s, my first brand new car was a Delta Delta 88, 1970. It was $7,000, man. And I'll tell you, I would rather that car today than any of this shit today. Wow. (laughs) But I'm just saying, but I was doing very well. Well, yeah, man. As time goes on and. And see, so now what the future holds, it's uh, there's not a community anymore. You know, communities are neighborhoods. And neighborhoods are built around a commercial district. There's, you know, there's a social environment or something. You know, you have homes, neighborhood, but then there's a street where all the stores are. There might be a bar there. But back in the day, there used to be the grocery store, the clothing store. Every business you can imagine, the laundromats. I mean, because that's black folks shop at home. And and see, that has been gone so long, we didn't even know it existed. Well, that is something that uh, we're definitely focused on over here in the Cypher to continue empowering um, the next generation of leaders and learning from the OG such as yourself. So... You know, I just want to say, man, I, I really appreciate, you know, what you've, you know, you've done for the city, for the culture and beyond that. Uh, appreciate you taking the time to come on and, and chop it up with us. You've definitely dropped plenty of gems. Um, I have to weed through and figure out our sound bites 
and figure out what I want to call this because we got so much to work with. But um, like I said, I just want to express my gratitude for not only being a part of the podcast, but a couple of weeks ago being on stage at our XL Fest and um, just, you know, want to say thank you for that. And for all those out there listening, um, shout out again to the, the OG George Daniels in the building rocking with the cypher today. Appreciate that. I Appreciate just, it. I enjoyed it. And, uh, you know, the, the one thing, the advantage, the greatest advantage I have as this elder is that my mind is still sharp and the ideas are just as great. And it, now it's so easy and I see them, but the young people don't. Mm-hmm. You know, because you didn't grow up seeing small businesses. (laughs) Right. You know, just, but uh, but on any event, uh, as we move forward, you know, uh, maybe I'll come back again and uh, we'll chop it up, maybe create some uh, business opportunities. Oh, absolutely. We're going to be building from here. We're planning XL24 right now, so I'll be following up with you soon. Okay. Sounds good. All right, brother. Appreciate you. And thanks for everybody out there listening. Y'all have a good day. Peace.